Boy, I've just got all kinds of stuff up here. I, I was less ready than I thought I was. Pardon me for all of this distraction. Um, here we go. As we've been looking at promises that God's made to us, we're going to be... Yes? Have some... Yeah, yeah. So tell her to try the YouTube channel, to go onto the YouTube channel. The Zoom, people are having problems logging onto the Zoom today. I think it's the internet issue. But the, the, but the YouTube channel apparently is working because we had viewers on there last hour. But they can't log, and I don't know why one works and the other one doesn't. So Wish that weren't the case, but yeah. So, but it, a lot of people were coming in. I thought it was I thought it was my router, and then Dwight downstairs going, "No, he was like that, and Jim's was like that, and and so yeah." And then Ronnie was saying that theirs was was slow. So, and, and Terry was saying they they were having a problem with theirs out there. So, yeah. Okay, so as we move into our Bible study this morning, we have been looking at promises uh, that God's made to us. Those promises make up our Christian life. Your Christian life is really about relating to promises of what God says he will do through you when you let him. Now, some of those promises are unconditional. Some of those promises, God says, I'm going to do this. Philippians 1.6, the one who started a good work in you, he's going to carry that out and finish it. God doesn't start anything halfway and leave it undone. When I was a kid, I had an aunt and uncle that gave me a model jet plane. I couldn't tell you what kind of jet plane it was. That was a long time ago. I was second grade or something. I tried to put that model jet plane together. That model jet plane sat in my closet for the longest time. A mismatch of parts, not glued, because I didn't know how to put glue on parts right and trying to put it together, and it looked a mess, and I quit. <laughs> and I did not finish what I started. God doesn't do that. And God doesn't put things together in a haphazard way so that things aren't aligned and put together right. So that's a positive promise. But we do have a couple of statements as we've been looking at what God's doing, what God's promised. We've got at least four statements in the New Testament that are going to, we have to look at them and understand what, what are being said because if we don't get them right, we're going to come away from these and we might impose what these say on these other promises and think that our, our, our inheritance is earned. But we started off, when we started looking at inheritance, if you remember, with two different statements, one of them over in Acts 20 that Paul said, that our inheritance is by God's grace. If it's by God's grace, then it's not earned. You cannot earn something that is grace. Because works and grace... Do not cooperate. Okay? And Paul makes that very clear in Romans 11. So, we're going to put in today, and uh, I'm, going to, I'm just going to put up, this is Colossians 3.24. I'd like you to look at Colossians 3.24 in your Bible here. Colossians 3 and verse 24. And I'm just going to look at verse 24 for the moment, and I want you to, to see why if we don't, if we hadn't looked at all these other passages that talk to us about our inheritance and the fact that that is God's work and it's God's guarantee that we might come to this passage and go, oh, wait a second, this looks like it's earned. And so, 
He says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward or the payback of your inheritance. For you serve the Lord. Now, if we just looked at that, we have these interesting words that, that uh, the Apostle Paul used in here. Number one, you receive. You receive away from, you receive something back. Then you receive inheritance. If we just had that, we'd be okay. But then he comes down there and he has this word for reward. And that word for reward is a word literally that means to give back. Somebody did this thing and there's something that's given back in exchange for it. Now, let's take a look at some passages because I want you to see some other places where this word, um, where this word occurs. Let's go to Romans uh, chapter 11 here. Romans chapter 11. This is a passage that, that balances this uh, very importantly. And at the end of Romans chapter 11, at the end of Romans chapter 11, and let's go to verse 35. Let's, well, I'm going to start with verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it should be paid back? I was talking to Peggy about this here a couple weeks ago as I was working through some of these things again and talking about this word payback. You know, get, take a guess what the word payback means. Revenge. <laughs> who said that? You said revenge. It means to pay back. It just means to pay back. We're going to look at some verses here. This is one of them. It says... What he's getting at, if you just look at it, who has ever given something to God? You get this? Who has ever given something to God so that God has to repay him? In other words, is God in debt to any of us? No. Now, we live among a whole group of people that they don't get this. Maybe a lots of unsaved people think that. I th well, I do. I think a lot of unsaved people think that we do something, then God owes us something. But I know for a fact that the Mormons specifically teach, it's part of their specific teaching, that God has to let us work and has to let us earn these things. And that he is in reality in debt to us because of that. I've read it in their own material. I didn't bring it up here because I'm not here today to take shots at the Mormons I just did but I, that's not the main purpose I'm just helping you understand whenever we think about this his statement that he's making here is nobody has ever done something for God where God goes well now I'm in your debt now I owe you that because you did that for me never happens never happens but a lot of people think that including Christians real Christians can sometimes think God I did this for you I, I did the brave thing, and so now you owe me something. And this is not the case. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. Now, in 2 Thessalonians, we do have, we do have the, the, the idea that Josh threw out here for us of, to some degree of revenge. So 2 Thessalonians, <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, and he's talking about 
unsaved people in the world persecuting and causing problems for Christians, and as a result of that, the end, notice at the end of verse forty, uh, the end of verse five. Excuse me. It says, "On behalf of which then you are suffering, you indeed suffer." Verse six, since since indeed it is righteous with God to repay to those who are troubling you trouble. So they they haven't done anything for God, so that God's in debt to them. That's not what's happening. What he says is happening here is, is that people were troubling Christians and God repays to them trouble, sends trouble back their way. And this is what they're going to get uh, in the future. That definitely is that sense. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And it says in verse 30, it says, for we, uh, <clears throat> I, there's actually quite a bit of t context here that I think it would be helpful for us to kind of pick up. So I'm going to go back up to verse 26 instead of just looking at this one verse. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving a knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. And, not, and what he means by that is Christ's sacrifice was enough. You can't go to the temple and offer another one because that's what they were. These are Jewish Christians and they were still going to the temple and still offering sacrifices. And he says, but there isn't any up there that you can offer. Verse 27. For, but there is a certain terrifying expectation of judgment. Notice it is very important. We've been over this several different times he doesn't say that there is judgment. He says there's an expectation of judgment. When a Christian gets out of line, God may or may not judge them. Because that's the nature of operating under grace. God may judge them. He may not judge them. But you know what? If you are used to operating by works, which the Hebrew Christians were, and you get out of line, what are you going to do? You're going to expect judgment. That's what ends up happening. You expect it, even if God isn't going to bring it. And it says, so there is a certain terrifying expectation of judgment, and then and a fury of fire which concern, consumes those that are the adversaries or those that are, that are in opposition. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on that witness of two or three. Two or three. Verse 29, how much worse punishment do you think that he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant, or has treated it as common, by which he was sanctified and has done an insult to the Spirit of grace. All of that to say, when Christians thought, when Christians were thinking, I will just abandon the church, I will give up on meeting with the church, I will give up on, on, on this, I know I'm saved, I know I'm going to heaven, and I'm just going to go back to the temple and carry on at the temple like I was before. Everybody understands what we're saying? These were Jewish Christians that they'd been doing both. They'd been going to temple, and they were coming to church. But now over here on the Jewish side, the Jews are saying, you can't do that anymore. We are not going to let you come to the temple anymore. Because you're meeting with those Christians. You're one of those Jesus people, and you're not going to be able to come over here. And so they were cut off from the temple, which meant they were cut off from the priests, they were cut off from the sacrifices, and a lot of Christians are shocked by that. But you read the book of Acts, you get over to Acts 22, when Paul arrives in Jerusalem, James tells him, look how many thousands of Jews there are who believe, 
and they are all zealous for the law. What they needed to be taught was that the law was over. But instead they say, but this is what we want you to do, Paul, to make things smooth with all these Jewish Christians. We've got these four men that have a vow, and we want you to put up the money for them so that the sacrifices can be offered. Can you imagine this? The Apostle Paul, the Apostle of the grace of God, coming along and putting up money so that these four Jewish men can offer sacrifices and end their vow. Because the last thing to do before you could cut your hair was you had to offer three sacrifices. And this is what they're doing. And I think most Christians do not understand or appreciate that Christians were still offering sacrifices. They've never looked at sacrifices as though these sacrifices saved them eternally or justified them before God. That was never an issue for them. Sacrifices for the Jews had to do with their ability to approach God, to talk to God. When you have a problem, you have to stop there and think, oh, I better find a sacrifice to offer so I can go talk to God. Is that the way we think? We don't think like that. We need to talk to God. We just... We just talk to God. We just talk to God. Wherever we are, we should. But the Jewish Christians, they still were thinking that they needed to go up to the temple when they talked to God. There were some things they hadn't yet learned. And so now, because they can't do that, they're thinking, well, I know I'm saved. I know I'm justified before God. So I'm going to give up on the church, and I'm just going to stick over here with the temple. That's the big issue that's going on. And if you do that, before the eyes of all these Jewish people, if these people come back over here to this side, and they come back over here to, into Judaism to, to say, okay, we're just going to stick with you guys, what are all these other Jews going to think? Oh, your Jesus wasn't good enough for you, huh? That when he died on the cross and you guys were talking about him shedding blood, no different than anybody else that ever died. He was a criminal. Do you see what they're doing? In the eyes of those people, they are trampling, they're treating the Son of God with disdain before those people. They're treating the blood of the covenant like it's a common thing. And the spirit of grace that's working inside of them, they're insulting the spirit of grace by going back over here. It's an insult to the spirit of grace. It's an arrogant treatment. And so then with all of that, all that's a lot of background, I realize. Not a main part of the study, but you, I don't think you appreciate this statement if you don't understand what these Christians are doing. For we know, the one having said, vengeance is mine. And here's the word for vengeance specifically. I will repay. And this is our same word here. So he's paying something back. But in this context, clearly what's he doing? He's paying back vengeance. And so what he's saying is, Christians... That, I, that decide that they're not going to be a part of, the, of, of people. They decide they're not doing the church thing anymore because it's too hard to do the church thing. It's just easier to not do it and do this. Guess what? They get themselves in trouble with God. And they get themselves in trouble with God not because God's up there and he's this angry God that's up there in heaven going, you get back over there. No, it's because God says, I love you so much. I want something better for you. And this is not better. And so God disciplines us. So he brings this on. So he says, I will repay. And again, I will, he says, the Lord will judge his people. And now he's quoting from the Old Testament here to make the, these statements. But what he's talking about, he's going to pay them back. When they do this, there's something that they're going to get in return. 
And it's not a good thing in this case. So we're not looking at we're not looking at God repaying these people because they did something good and earned a good thing. They're being repaid something negatively, I think. Do we all understand what we're getting at? So now let's go back over to Colossians chapter 3, where we started. Colossians chapter 3. And in order to uh, appreciate this, now we want to pick up context. Context, 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 right? Isn't that always the key? So, he's talking about these different relationships, and I want us to go back up to verse 22. So go back up to Colossians 3.22, and he says, Slaves, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Do we all, have a, do we all as believers have a master? Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's talking about your fleshly masters, the, the, those human men that owned the slaves on earth. He says, you obey them in all things, the masters that are according to the flesh, not in eye service as men pleasers. When I was in college, I worked for two and a half years in a warehouse. And there was, a, there was this guy that I, I didn't work under him, okay? Because I, I worked in a different part of the warehouse. I unloaded trucks. But there were people that were filling orders. And they worked under a guy by the name of Les. And we've got shelves, shelves that are, you know, like this tall, all throughout. And they're maybe about, they're just wide enough to push an old shopping cart through. Not these nice big ones you get now, but these small ones. And, and you had all these people that were called pickers that were filling orders. And they're walking through those aisles, pushing these. And they got clipboards with all the orders they're filling for all these different individuals. And it was not uncommon in that warehouse to see these pickers that they come into an aisle and there'd be two of them in the aisle and then they stop and they're leaning on their shopping carts or leaning on the shelves and they're and they yak and yak and yak and yak and yak and they're talking and they're not getting any work done while they're doing that none of us have ever done that I'm sure but this is what was going on there they're yakking away and they sometimes and you I'm putting stuff I'm hauling truck uh, cartloads of stuff in and to put it out there on the shelf for these guys. And so I'm putting, bringing the stuff in and sometimes they're talking and you go back out into the main, the big warehouse out there and bring them back into the, to the indoor place, the air conditioned building and uh, bring it in there and they're still standing there talking. <laughs> and sometimes they're talking for a little, and pretty soon you hear Les, the guy that was over those guys, big guy Les, and you could hear his gait. Because he had this walk when he would walk through on the floor with his shoes. You'd hear this click, 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 click. You always knew when you heard that, that's Les coming. And boy, I tell you, it was really interesting to see two people standing in an aisle when you heard Les's shoes coming, that those people would be like, oh, it's Les. Because <laughs> nobody wanted to have to do, because Les would give you one of those lectures. <laughs> and they didn't want to stand and listen to, to Les lecture them on getting back to work and the things that they need to be doing. Because what they were doing was that they were doing a job, they were collecting a paycheck, but not necessarily getting all the work done that they should be doing. Because they were doing eye service. They were trying to please men. They were trying to keep their boss less happy. That's what they were trying to do. And if they could get away with it, they'd stand and talk for 10, 15 minutes in an aisle instead of getting their work done. And Paul here is telling these slaves, you know, slaves, you need to serve your masters 
but don't do it with eye service. In other words, when your master's not, you know he's not going to show up that day. You know that he is off attending to something else and you guys are out there working on your own that day, pruning in the vineyard maybe. You just keep pruning the same. You just do your job. It's not there just because he's watching you. And you're not doing it even just to please him. He says, but rather in singleness of heart. That word singleness is, singleness is okay, but it's, it's a word that just meant simplicity. Don't tangle it up. Just do your job. Don't mix it up going, oh, I want to keep my boss happy. I want my boss to, to look at me and say, oh, you do a good job. I don't, I, I'm doing it for it. No, just in simplicity, you just do your job. This is what you're supposed to do. Fearing the Lord. Now he brings the real boss in, our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that you ought to be concerned about. And then he goes on, and whatever you do, do it heartily, our Bibles, or at least New American Standard has. But that word heartily is a word meaning do it from your soul. And people go, I don't like to work. I don't like that kind of work. If I could work, I'd do this, but I don't like that. Has anybody, have any of you ever had to work a job you don't like? You don't have to raise your hand. Yeah, Lonnie raised her hand. But yeah, a lot of us have to, a lot of us have had to do jobs we don't like. Some of us have had jobs we like, but as Josh always puts it, even if you get a, one of the things they always tell young people, find something you like and do that. And Josh goes, that's not a good way to find a job because guess what? Even the thing that you really like, there are going to be days you are going to hate it because it's going to be hard and it's going to be miserable. Yeah, so you, you just, you're just you supposed to do your job. But he says here, Paul brings this in, that you can do your work, you slaves can do the work from your soul, and you can work as though you're working for the Lord. That it's not just about you're working for that boss. You can say, I've got a bigger boss than this guy. He's the one I really ought to be concerned about is the real boss, the Lord Jesus Christ, that when I'm doing this, this isn't just about keeping my boss down here on earth happy. This is about the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's given me something to do in this, and not men. So you're working to the Lord and not men. Now granted, are any of us slaves in this capacity today? No. To my knowledge, we're all free men. We may not always feel like that when you go into work, but you know what? If you called in and say, I'm not going to work this job anymore, you have the right to call in and quit. A slave didn't have that choice. You might go, well, I can't quit because I couldn't pay my bills. Yeah, that's true, but you still could quit. <laughs> okay, you still could quit. So we're not actually slaves. So the comparison between an employee and a slave is not a perfect one-for-one. One. I think we all understand that. But notice what he goes on to say then in the verse that we start, verses that we started with. Knowing that it is from the Lord that you will receive this payback related to an inheritance. And this is where we have this problem. There's something here, and, and I'm kind of wondering if Paul isn't kind of making a tongue-in-cheek statement about the inheritance here. I, he could just be very straightforward on this. And there's a couple of options. This is the one passage, I'll be honest. The other ones do not cause me a lot of trouble. This is the only one that I actually have 
had a little bit of a stick on trying to understand precisely what he's getting at. But he says you serve the Lord. So ultimately, it's not what your boss or your master, in this case, is going to pay you back with. Did, did the masters pay slaves back something? Yeah, they fed them. They, in the Roman Empire, they gave them a new change of clothes every year. Doesn't sound like very, a very magnanimous thing to do, give them one change of clothes. But in a part of the world where probably most people had, at best, two items of clothes, their work clothes, and maybe another set of clothes that they wore on another day, I don't know, that actually wasn't bad. I mean, we just we know what it's like to open a closet, and my wife's not listening to this, but you can have too many shirts. <laughs> you did not hear me say that. <laughs> Yeah, we, we can have a lot of we can have a lot of stuff, but in their world they didn't. And so they, they were provided food. They normally were provided a place to stay, some sort of a shelter over their head if they were a slave, and and also provided a change of clothes. So there was something that their earthly master paid them back. But he says, guess what? Your real master, the Lord Jesus Christ, there's also something that he that he pays back. But notice what he goes on to say then in verse 25. For the one doing wrong or doing unrighteously, uh, trying to put this up, the wrongdoer is what the way the ESV puts it, uh, the one that's doing unrighteously, he will receive that which he did unrighteously. And there is no respect of persons. Now let me go back to my illustration. One of the people in that warehouse that worked under this other man that Walked, click, click, click. One of those guys was his brother. His brother worked in that same department. And his brother, interestingly enough, his brother was one of those guys that always acted like he was a really good employee. But I sat around where I'm trying to do my job and he would sit and want to talk my ear off and tell me all about one thing or another and stand in there and he's not getting his job done either and he's making it harder for me to get my job done. And when his brother would come clicking by, and he had a loud voice, so that's the thing. Others would talk quietly so that, you know, it's the boss can't really hear them unless he gets right up there. You could, you could hear his brother from a distance away, and his brother wasn't afraid of his older brother coming by and doing this. Did you get that? His older brother showed favoritism to his younger brother. Our Lord Jesus Christ does not show favoritism. When he deals with this, he says there's no favoritism. Guess what? If you're not doing it right, now what would they, be, if they're a slave, what are they doing wrong? What would a slave be doing wrong? Not working. It's pretty plain in the context. They're not working. Their master is providing some food for them, providing shelter. I know, we all look at that and go, well, that doesn't, I don't want to be a slave. I don't want to be a slave either, but the master is providing him something. He owns him. It's just the way it is. And so that and that person isn't actually doing the task that he's been given. And he says, you know, the Lord, he says, the Lord will pay that back. That Lord will, or actually what it says is he will carry away. So there's something he's going to carry away in this, the thing that he did wrong. And there's no respect to persons. When the Lord deals with this, God doesn't go, oh, well, you're my favorite, so we'll let you get by. You don't have, you don't have to be like everybody else because I, I play favorites. Okay? You don't play favorites. Playing favorites, 
not a good way. My wife, she worked for her parents and her sister worked for her parents and oftentimes they weren't just working for their parents. They actually had other people that they had to answer to in there that were in charge of things. And guess what? Their parents didn't go, oh, well, they're my daughter. They can get away with that. No, their parents made them as responsible to those people as they were to them. And so, so there's no favoritism like there was shown in that place where I worked a long time ago. Now, from here, I want to go to Ephesians chapter 6, because we have a, a sort of a parallel statement. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 is where I want to put in. Verse 5, it says, Slaves, obey your, again, your masters according to the flesh, with fear and with trembling, in simplicity or singleness of heart, as to, the, as to Christ, very similar to exactly what, what Paul, we just read over in Colossians, not by eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the desirous will of God from the soul. Notice what he just said there. Part of God's desirous will for you is to be a person that does the job that they've been given and to do it right. And he says even more so, to do it from the soul. Get your soul on board and you can even have a right, not just a right mindset going, this is the way God said it has to be like this, but even go, you can even get into it. You can appreciate that opportunity to be involved and to participate in this. And then he goes on. Verse 7, with then good intentions, serving as to the Lord, not unto men, knowing that each one will carry away, and again, we have this, uh, this word that's translated receive back, back over here in Colossians 3.25. It's payback. It's not paid back. It's a different word. This is a word talking about something that a person receives and they carry it away as their possession. What would you carry away as a possession if you aren't doing your job? You might take some, let's just, I, I, this is going to sound rough, we may not like to hear this, but maybe that person would receive some blows from their master. In our modern environment, in our modern environment where you have an employee working for an employer, the employer, Josh, I don't think has ever been able to do this, to take an employee, take him back, make him in the back in the meat room, stand up there and whip him. I don't think, I don't think that's allowed. That's frowned upon, right? <laughs> Yeah, okay, Josh, just confirmed. That's frowned upon. So we don't do that kind of thing. <laughs> you shouldn't say that. <laughs> Somebody might hear that. No. Um, but, but that does not mean that Josh might not take somebody aside and say, we need to talk and maybe have a very strongly worded conversation with somebody saying, listen, this is your job. This is what you do. This is what I expect of you. And you need to be on this. And it might even come to the point that Josh might even have to say, this is your warning. If I have to tell you this again, your job's over. This is a weekly event. Oh, it is? Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Okay. So, see, 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 everybody thinks it's great to be an employer. Employers sometimes, they've got... <laughs> There's like three speeches. You nailed one. Oh, I did? Okay. <laughs> so, as Paul's talking about this, he says... Here in, in uh, Hebrews chapter six and verse, or Ephesians six, excuse me, in verse eight, he says that he 
receives, this idea receives, is that he is carrying away. What's he carrying away? Well, he's carrying away something from what he's done. If you're doing the right thing, you might carry something away good. Your boss might go, hey, good job. I, I haven't been around for three days, and I can tell you have done three days of hard work. It's clear while I was absent that you still attended to your job. And you might carry that away. But you might carry away some discipline if they were a slave. In, an our, in our world today, you might carry away a pink slip or a, job, a thing that, well, pink slip is actually what you get when you're, that's not what you get when you're fired. That's what you get when they, they let you go under other cities. They might, you just might be fired. <laughs> that might be what you carried away. Or you might get a warning. Or you, or you might get less hours. Or you might, yeah, yeah. There's lots of things that, 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 might be, have a, that might be considered negative that you might carry away for not doing this right. But here he says, you carry this away from the Lord. And he says, this is true whether you're slave or free. So this is, this is true of a, a free man working for somebody or a free man that is a master in addition to a slave. Does everybody see that? Whether he is a, as the, the ESV has, whether a bondservant or a free person. And then he even, down in verse 9, he says, and masters, you do the same thing. In fact, he tells masters, quit threatening. He's talking to Christian masters. Christian masters ought not to be people that, and you think of somebody that they could threaten would be their slaves. If, I, I keep picking on Josh here, but if Josh were hard up to find workers, he probably would be a little cautious about threatening workers. He'd have to really, really think carefully, how much do I want to threaten these guys? Because I've got no guarantee that I can find somebody to replace this person, and I need this many people right now. See, And so even the masters, he says, as Christian masters, it's not just a practical thing, it's a proper thing for masters, he says, to give up the threatening. Now, he says they're carrying something away, but if you notice what he said back there in verse 6, he says he carries that away from the Lord. This is something now, it's not just that the mat, that a human master is meeting this out, it's something that your divine master, the Lord Jesus Christ, is actually paying back or giving something to somebody for something that they're doing, I would say in this context, a proper thing. Notice what he said that it is a good thing. Let's go back and make sure we've seen this in verse 8, knowing that each one, whatever good thing he does, he carries that away. Now we're going to, not today, but down the road, we're going to be looking at the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to see how this really, some of this we're really will play into the matter of the judgment seat of Christ. But I wanted you to look back in the same book of Ephesians, back to chapter 2 and verse 10. Ephesians 2 and verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God previously prepared that we should walk in them. When you get up in the morning, even if your calendar is empty, you go, oh, I got a free day today. I don't have anything scheduled. There's no place I have to be. There's no jobs I have to get done. Today's an open day. Even if that's the case on your calendar, God has a calendar for your life in which God says, I have appointments for you. I got up the other morning. Peggy was gone over with uh, 
on the other side, and I got up early and I slept in a little bit, so I went out and took my walk, and I thought, I'm going to make this four miles. So I'm going to walk up and I'm going to do a lap on the track and come back, and then I'll have four right time I get home. And guess what? I got up there. In fact, and I was praying before, God, put something together. Um, help me to recognize appointments you have for me today. And I got up to the track, and I, and I get up there, and I look across the football field, and there's a person walking over there. And I'm like, oh, I think that's so-and-so. But I can't tell from here. And then as I got further down the track, clear of the stadium, I could see a vehicle over here. I was like, yeah, that is their vehicle. So I ran across the football field. Came up to him, startled the person a little bit, and we ended up walking a whole bunch. I ended up not doing four miles. I ended up doing seven and a half miles because we just kept walking and talking and walking and talking, and I just let this person talk for a long time, which my wife would say, that's amazing for me to let somebody talk a long time. But it was, it was put this way, it was one of those appointments that God had. I wasn't, it wasn't on my schedule as far as I knew, but it was on the schedule God had for me. And I'm just using that as an illustration. God has plans for you every day. Some of those plans are going to fall within the things you have already planned, but sometimes they're going to be things that you can't plan for. There's just going to be opportunities God's going to put there. And if you look at this in the context of these masters as good works, because what was he talking about over there? Whatever good thing you do, well, that those good things could fall within the realm of some of the good works. You mean to tell me that some of the good works that God has planned for me might have to be just me being a good employee? Seriously? I thought this had to be ministry, doesn't it? Doesn't it have to be me studying to teach a Sunday school class? Doesn't this have to do with me serving other people in the church, doing some, some real godly thing? God is honored by people that do their job with a proper attitude, and they do it the way God expects I struggled with that a little bit when I was working at the library because if anything, I would get so wrapped up in that, so wanting to make sure I was doing a good job there that sometimes doing this suffered. Uh, and uh, it was a tough thing to balance at times, I found, to balance. And some of you maybe know what that's like, trying to balance a couple of different things that you're supposed to do. And you're supposed to, yeah, we could go on and on with the illustrations of that. But God's, those are some of the things. And if we put that together back over Back over here in Ephesians chapter 6, remember what he's saying there is not only true for the slaves, but he says, and masters. So it kind of falls with even with the realm with masters. Or we might say bosses. Part of, part of the good works that God's, God has set for you is even being a good boss or a good supervisor or whatever status you have. And I'm... I'm not trying to, I've been picking on Josh enough, but I'm going to pick on Gordon here. I've, I've worked with Gordon, and to this day, I'd still say Gordon could still work me under the table. But that aside, I have, I have also talked with, at a couple of different times when I've been with him, and I've talked with some of the guys that have worked for him. And one of the things that those, I've been told this more than once by those guys that they appreciate, is he's not a boss that just sits in his truck on his phone. He's a guy that actually gets out of the truck and works with them when there's stuff to be done. I mean, if he has to be on his phone doing work, he does that, I'm sure. But that that leaves an impression with them. Because, well, we all know those guys that, hey, I'm the boss. <laughs> you guys do the work. I'll sit up here. Yeah, I'm working on my phone. Let's see. Uh, there's an ace. There's a king. You know, you know. <laughs> 
I'm not saying that that's what bosses do, but sometimes, if you caught me sometimes on my phone, you might think I'm working. I'm probably playing solitaire sometimes on there. But there's works that God's planned for us to do. There's works that God's planned for us to do. And we can glorify God and we can serve the Lord Jesus Christ when we're doing our work as a slave, an employee, master, and all of those things. And there is something, he says, that we carry away. Now, this is then, bring this over here to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, and I'm going to go down to verse 21. John 3 and verse 21, it says, But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds or his works might be plainly seen that they have been worked by God. When you're living in the truth, when, you're when you are actually having victory over your sinful nature, and you realize that only God can accomplish through you what really needs to be done, and you're letting God do that, even in something like work, God can be doing that work through you and can be glorifying himself. And as he said, and I want to go back, I'm not going to turn up here, but turn back to Colossians 3 where we started. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive a reward, the payback of an inheritance. It's the Lord whom you serve. I don't particularly, I'm going to be honest, I don't think that this payback and this inheritance, I don't particularly think that this is out in the sweet by and by. I don't know that this is completely at what we would call the judgment seat of Christ. It may involve the judgment seat of Christ, but there's the possibility that there's things that the Lord actually dishes out to you right now, that if you're not doing it right, the Lord might have to discipline you. That might be one of the things that you take away is discipline. We already talked about that. But there are some other positive things, other positive things that we might take away. And we're going to, we're going to save those, we're going to save those for next week. But I, I'm just trying to think if I want to even hit one of these here at, right at the end. Um, let, let's go to 1 Peter 5. Let's take this one. I'm just trying to think of the ones I have, which one would be a good one here at the, at the end. 1 Peter chapter 5. Do you, you may. Being that you don't always have a Christian master, you could have a twisted master. Yeah. I tend to think that when it says... It's promising them you shall receive a reward of the inheritance. I think that's talking about the fact that even if you're not going to get paid right from your, your earthly master, the Lord, you can do it heartily from the Lord, and it can be outliving of the Christian life, and that's a reward in itself. But if you do wrong, so you might get spanked not only from your path, your, your, your slave owner, but you might get in trouble from the Lord. Exactly. I don't think it's promising a physical uh, payback in this life. Yeah. So, so like I say, there's two possibilities here. It's there's the possibility, like Josh is saying, there's a possibility of discipline. But now I want to look at a future possibility that comes in here to think in this. I appreciate that. 
I agree. Chapter 5, 1 Peter 5, verse 1. Therefore, I encourage you, the elders who are among you, myself being a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker of the glory that is to be real. Now, what he's doing, he's talking about elders. He's talking about men that we popularly call pastors. Okay, He says, shepherd or pastor, the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. By the way, that's the word that is translated bishop or overseer over in 1 Timothy 3. Not under compulsion, but voluntarily. So think about that. That really is another way of saying what Paul was just saying to the slaves in Ephesians and in Colossians. When you are serving that earthly master, you can do it as though you're serving the Lord and you can do it with the right attitude so that you're not doing it because you have to do it because you're his slave. You now can do it because you're serving the Lord. You can change your attitude. And he says, and you also can do it not for sordid gain. Some people go, well, I'm going to work hard because I'll get paid. Well, even the elders could say, well, the church pays me something. But you know what? If you're just, as a man, and Jim was talking about this last Sunday, about the problem sometimes that even in churches, even we as Christians, even I myself, I'm not immune to this. I could sometimes look at what I do as though I need to do that because I get paid for that. And you can get your, your motives messed up. He says, but doing with eagerness, not as a Lord over the uh, that allotment to your charge, but proving yourselves in examples of the flock. So you're leading by example. Then he says in verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. In other words, because you have done the work that God has given you to do, and you've done it the way God wants it done, with the right motives... There's a victor's wreath that you get to carry away. Now, we're going to wait and see what happens to those victor's wreaths later on. That's not what we're going to look at today. But this may be a small example. You say, well, you're talking about pastors now. In, in one way or another, I think that that's kind of like looking at slaves and the masters and what's going on. That the pastors could even do their job. Pastors can do their job the wrong way. I've known. I've known pastors that... Wait until Saturday to put together their message, or even Saturday night, and they only do it. And sometimes they say, oh, if I only didn't have to speak tomorrow. And I'm like, if you didn't have to speak tomorrow? It's like, that, to me, that's one of the joys is getting to open the Word and share the Word with you like that. Or um, there was a church I know that, uh, that the Wagners used to attend, and Josh told me that when they were up there, that the pastor at that particular church once told Josh, that pastoring would be easy, but you don't want to get too close to the sheep because they smell and they'll poop on you. <laughs> that's, what the, that's what this pastor told Josh. And Josh related this story to me about two or three times, you know, at one time. And there are pastors that are like, hey, I like pastoring. I like getting paid for the job of pastoring. I like doing these things, but I don't like dealing with the people. And I don't, you know, I don't like that. Some pastors love teaching because they, hey, I'm teaching. Everybody's listening to me. They like that kind of stuff. Say, if you think that I'm immune to that, I'm not immune to that. I have to, I have to live the Christian life because I have a sin nature. I can follow Satan's path. I can go down those paths just like anybody else. I'm not immune to that kind of thinking. So in the same way that 
slaves are not supposed to be eye pleasers, but serving the Lord, I myself could become an eye pleaser and going, I'm going to do this to keep the people at this church happy. So if I keep the people at the church happy, they'll let me stay on as their pastor, and maybe they'll pay me something. And that would be totally the wrong reason ever for doing what we're doing. This is called a spiritual gift, a grace gift, a thing of grace. And that's the attitude we should be ministering this as though we're serving unto the Lord. And if we do it the right attitude, there's a victor's wreath. Father, we're thankful for the time together. We're thankful as you have laid out in your word that there are some things we need to think about, about the way that we function down here, things that we might experience here in this life as we uh, perhaps go about even, even our secular work, no matter what it might be, that it can be done glorifying to you, but it can be done in a manner in which you might even have to discipline us because you really want something more for us and you want us to represent you in every aspect of our lives. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for things that Josh shared with us today. Again, remind us that, uh, about that we can have a better perspective as we're serving, as we're doing these things. Thankful for this time together. Thankful for your word. Help us to be those that would be living with the anticipation that maybe even today your son Jesus Christ would return for us. We would hear his voice and we would be gathered into his presence and then taken by him into your presence. Help us to live with that anticipation and we would thank you for this then. Amen. Oh, and uh, for those of you that have been online, um, we are again going to try to attempt this this afternoon about 1.30 for Josh. So, and you have to probably be on the, on the, the YouTube live stream because we're having problems with the Zoom due to the kind of glitchy internet today. So anyway, you're back then. We'll see you all later.